Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. Today we're joined by director Emerald Fennell, who discusses her debut film, Promising Young Woman, with rom-com legend Richard Curtis. Promising Young Woman has been an awards season sensation, with accolades including nominations for Best Director and Best Film at the Oscars. In this episode, you can hear Emerald telling Richard about her experiences as a first-time filmmaker, her careful casting choices, and crafting a powerful ending. We hope you enjoy. Well, you're so welcome. Um, Emerald, this is such a pleasure. Um, It's such an extraordinary film. Um, You know, you always dread the fact that people you know are going to make films you hate. (laughs) Um, But this is, you know, being the favourite film um, of this year, in fact, with my family. Um, So I'm going to take a slightly, I mean, I have directed films, but not well. So I'm going to take it a sort of the way I see films in a funny way, which is sort of writing, casting, making, editing in a way, because I think it's quite interesting to go through that process because obviously you both wrote and direct the film so can i as it were start with the the big first question which is why this film what do you think deep inside you said this is the one that i'm going to make um and i want to talk about your short film careful how you go after you've answered because it's really interesting relationship with this film but as it were why this one your first film where did it come from I think I'm not very good at describing how like things start because it's generally just one specific scene that comes to mind. And so with Promising Young Woman, it was a woman drunk on a bed, being undressed, asking drunkenly, what are you doing? And then suddenly sitting up and saying, what are you doing? Over. And I think, I suppose for a really long time, I'd been thinking about, yeah, what it was like growing up. Um, in a world where it was just completely normal. It was just culturally completely accepted that taking drunk girls home, that um, filling up their drinks more than your own drink, these were kind of gags. It was like banter, sort of, it just, yeah. And it it kind of, it, it was all the films that I watched growing up as well. The way that women's bodies were kind of like things to be had, things to be looked at, touched, tricked into, you know, that, that that was kind of what it was. So that's the sort of, I suppose that's where it all came from. But, but then on the other hand, the kind of why this film question's always so difficult. Cause I mean, of course there are lots of other things that I've written that are, you know, that were never made as well, I suppose too. So there's that kind of other thing where I suppose this was the one that also, I think probably a lot of people, it probably helped that a lot of people maybe my age were, are now, you know, producing and they're in the kind of position to say yes to things because I think that they probably understood this thing and felt it quite deeply. Uh, I mean, you clearly do feel it deeply because I really recommend to everyone watching this to watch Careful How You Go. It's like 11 minutes long, but it's a really extraordinary piece of film because it's basically three cruel women being cruel. Um, it's all, all sort of vengeful or behaving in a manner that is sort of aggressively interfering in other people's lives. So there's obviously something inside you that that wants to get 
back at some of the experiences you had when you were young? I think, I think maybe that's it. But I suppose, though, at the same time, we're just not very used to seeing, I think, how women really are frightening. Because we're so used to people's, you know, we're so used to seeing um, male characters be violent or lashing out or that's a kind of very common thing. But, and so we're used to seeing women, therefore, I think, being angry in the same way. We don't mind them getting a knife and slitting someone's throat. We don't mind them uh, blowing shit up. But we do mind seeing them angry in the way that women are angry, I think. And they do express their anger, which is, yeah, as you said, they're kind of, well, I sort of think of the women in, in uh, Careful How You Go sort of recreational sadists as people no. who have found a way. <laughs> you Recre know, recreational sadists is a... Is a brilliant is a brilliant term. Well, I don't know how many people are professional sadists. Maybe I you know <laughs> maybe there are a few, yeah. um, but it's but yeah, it's just that thing of like how if you are not naturally violent, both biologically and just because of you know something that we go into and and promising a woman is like there's a reason that women aren't violent, and it's because they don't win. You know, it's it's there are many reasons why we don't resort to violence. So, but then how do you express that rage? Where does it go? And you find in real life, you know, I've got a folder of um, kind of things, of things that, of, I suppose, sort of wicked women. But, but a lot of the time I hear news stories. There was a news story in Australia recently um, that you might remember a couple of years ago. It was somebody who was putting needles in strawberries and they had to throw Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. I, I, they didn't know who it was. And I just said, I, I was talking to someone at the time and it came out and I just said, it's a woman. It's just a woman. There's no chance it's not. And of course it was. And then you think about Cat Bin Lady. Do you remember her? No. Okay, Cat Bin Lady. I don't know if any of the people, but everyone might be too um, sophisticated to remember Cat Bin Lady. But maybe five years ago, there was a really famous piece of CCTV footage of a woman in just in a suburban street, ordinary middle-aged woman, and there was a cat on top of a dustbin, a, a big, you know, big, um, you know, big bin that you put all your rubbish in. And no one was looking, and she just, she just put the cat, she just pushed the cat into the bin, closed the door, and then just kept walking. Wow, and bought some strawberries and some needles. Yeah, and then yeah. This thing of, and there was outrage, and then this woman got unmasked because there was CCTV at the house. But of course, you know, those sorts of people, those that expression, that sudden unthinking expression of anger felt particularly female to me. And I and my, my daughter's just texted me, I'm obviously obsessed with Captain Lady. So <laughs> Um, let's, uh, let, can we talk about, I mean, no writing's easy. How was the process of this one? Did it come fast? What, what were the tricky bits? What were the problems that you wrestled with most in the writing of it? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me, actually, writing is the easiest bit, maybe, because I love doing it and I find it really, I find it a real relief. Maybe that's my putting cats in a bin. But I... 
So what really I do is I just think about it. I live with it for a couple of years and I don't ever write anything down and I listen to music and I go into all the rooms. I go to all the apartments with Cassie and, you know, work out what music's on and what, you know, how, what they've got on their floors and all that kind of stuff. And so it takes, so that is the main body of it. Weirdly, writing, physically writing is quite, is probably the shortest part because by the time I'm ready to do that, it's pretty much finished. So a lot of the difficulty is worked out. It's it's a sort oh, of God. yeah, and I suppose I don't know I don't know how you work, but for me it's um, I can't start at all until it's finished. So like I can try, I can do you know I can do my best. I can kind of sit in front of my computer, but it just doesn't really feel the same. It's got to. Yeah, it's got to be done. And so you got the, you got the whole thing in your the yeah. whole thing in your head before you go. And so, look, you wrote it, finished it, and all the way through, did you think I'm going to direct this one? Because you've written for lots of things that you didn't direct. So yeah, so I um, I love writing things so that I direct. I love writing in general. So that's kind of so that's lovely. But I did no, I made careful how you go in order to prove that I could make promising a woman because right. I was not interested in selling it as a script or, or anyone else making it um not that I don't think you know somebody else might have done something amazing but it just felt so personal and also what I how I wanted to make it was so specific I think I mean maybe it's not particularly unusual but but it felt important to me that it it was all one thing I don't know it was all cut from the same cloth and made from the same yeah. well no, that's brilliant because I did not start that way and I had less good and brilliant experiences in terms of handing over my material to other people. Um, and tell me in this process, it's so, you know, it's clearly, you know, amazing central female performance written from a very, you know, female perspective in, in the process. Do you think, were there ever moments when it was either, you know, or a good or a bad thing, you being a woman, did you feel it's tough being a female director or in this case, it's a benefit. This is obviously a great year for female directors, but we've had great years before in which they just haven't been praised enough or noticed enough. Yeah, I think, God, I don't know. It's really difficult to know because it's your life and it's your only frame of reference. So I really, I don't, I don't know, but I do think, what I do think is kind of interesting is that I, I still think it is the case that women are more usually allowed to write very female things and they're allowed to be, you know, approximations of their lives. That's fine. It's, that's where we're comfortable. Where we're less comfortable is, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if the, you know, the women that have kind of thrived this year are then allowed to go and make whatever films they want to make rather than, but can it, you know, I, I found a lot of the time before Promising a Woman, so much of the other stuff I wrote was kind of sci-fi or, you know, kind of, or, you know, rom-coms and all of that sort of stuff. And really it, I, it was the case that I think people, people want things that are more political perhaps from, from women. But That's having said, One Night in okay. Miami is a great example of a movie that, you know, that's really exciting, getting to see women direct a bunch of men. I mean, it, that, that's still very, very rare. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, look, let's hope we're on a actual upward curve here. I mean, you mentioned genre, and I do think it's a kind of genre-busting film. I mean, it uses, it, it seems to use lots of, I mean, particularly from romantic films. I can imagine a film of mine which almost has the same score, but everything turns out nicely. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, what would it's such an unusual film tonally. Did you have other films in mind or did you think all oh, rom-com, horror? There are, what, what was in your head in terms of this really unusual sort of mix of, of feelings in it? I mean, I think part of it is, I think part of it is that I wish, I wish I could say that it was more analytical and kind of clever than sort of just oh. instinct. So I think for me, part of it was that my life feels sort of chaotic in this way. You know, it feels like a horror film and a romantic comedy. And and I like things, I think I think probably maybe what kind of hangs it together as I, I like things that feel allegorical as well as real. You know, films that could be, it's a very simple structure, Promising a Woman. It's the same as a road movie or a Western or a, or a fable from, you know, if you, you're a child and hearing those kind of, Bible stories. It is a woman who goes on a on a journey and teaches people lessons and learns things along the way. And um, so that kind of for me was very useful because then everything else could be played with. And it's very useful having a genre like the revenge movie, particularly the sort of female-led revenge movie, because everyone knows it inside out. And there are really particular, specific beats, emotional and story beats. And so if you can use those and know what the audience is expecting and then kind of undermine it, it's so it's so much more pleasure. It's sort of a pleasurable exercise for you and hopefully for them too. Yeah, I mean, I do think, but then you allowed other things in because I was really hoping things would turn out well with Bo. Uh, I thought, because you do allow, you allow yourself to have a kind of romantic film and there are really gorgeous romantic scenes in there. So... As it were, you might have had the revenge film, but then you completely allowed yourselves to bring in a parents film and a love film and do those sort of properly. I think also it sort of has to, so much of it is trying to approximate Cassie's experience. So much of the way it looks and feels is, you know, it's sort of her film. It seems innocuous, it seems cozy, it seems feminine and fun and sweet, and it's not really, it's kind of nightmarish. And then, you know, when it comes to the romance, when it comes to almost all of the film, it's important, I think, for us as an audience that it's not simple, that actually you need to have that feeling that she has, that she's choosing, you know, there are two roads. This is, this is what all of this stuff is about to me that's so difficult, it's like, Look how easy it is when you just let it go. Look how easy it is when you just shut up and get over it and forget about it and let it go. Because that's it. It's like she's got two options. She's got love and a life and, you know, hope. And then she's got this hard, lonely, miserable, solitary path that everyone, including Nina's parents, are like, get, just stop. You know, it's relentless. Yeah, I mean, it's also a kind of obsessive love story, but with someone who's no longer alive um you know in some ways that's the that's the romance in the film so look a lot of directors watching um 
tell me, so your first film, I, I, I'd love to just talk about how the process went. I mean, did you enjoy the days? How much did you lean on and know about sort of cinematography? I, I knew nothing when I started. Um, did you enjoy it? Yes, I really did. I really loved it. And I didn't know, I mean, it was, it was 23 day shoot. We had- No, no. God. Yes. In Los well Angeles. Done. In Los Angeles, with, with all of the wonders that that brings, but also all of the complications, you know, it's a, lot, a very like, complicated place to shoot. So, um, so there was that side of things, but actually, in a way, that made us all, of course, there were moments that were very stressful, but it made us so much a unit because it was, it was that thing of, you know, I remember looking at the schedule a couple of days before we started shooting and we were all there, you know, all of the producers watching it, looking and thinking, this is, we've got a millimeter every day. We are just bumping. We can touch, we can feel the hairs of impossible against our skin. And so it was just that thing of like, then we had to, you know, there was no question of ever dropping a scene because you're not going, you know, we were in a different location pretty much every day. You can't go back. Funny, so, but having said that, partly the reason that it was, uh, not only like creatively, but just personally, was was Carrie, because Carrie is so exceptional that that we didn't need we didn't need a thousand. You know, she she can just do it. She can just do it. It's pure instinct. She's a kind of magical genius. And so, not only do you know you're always going to get it the performance and you're going to get all sorts of different performances because she's so clever um, at kind of moderating everything and changing it bit by bit. But, but more than anything, she's fucking delightful. She's a lovely person. And that sounds like nothing, but you know, for me making this, but you know, seven months pregnant in LA in a place I'd never worked before making my first film, you know, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. And one of those big things would have been if the leading lady. You, you can't have allowed yourself much coverage. You must have, did you know at the start of the day, this is the way I'm going to shoot this scene. These are the five angles I'm going to go for. And then on we go. So in that way, more like directing fast for TV with real decisions already made rather than saying, oh, let's try it this way and that way and this way. I think that's probably true, except for, what was useful again about making the film, you know, if viewing the film through the kind of prism of Cassie is that it had to necessarily like her, had to be very contained and kind of static considered quite strict actually. And so if we'd want this, this, you know, we use steady cam and kind of natural lighting only in the moments when Cassie's kind of, Cassie's losing control. So uh, any bits, actually lots of bits with Bo, you know, the Ryan scenes when they're kind of starting to fall in love and the camera kind of loosens up. And then when she hits the car, when she has the meltdown after she's seen the video, that's when we kind of allowed ourselves steady cam. But like, Christ on a cracker. If we'd just done that for the whole film, you know, if we could have made, there was a version of this film that was much more kind of, um, I suppose, gritty and sort of real and, um, that would have been, that would have given us so much more space in that regard, but it needed to feel, I think 
partly it needed to feel cinematic and it needed to feel safe so that people trusted it before they had that trust sort of maybe taken yeah. a off. Um, but it didn't feel like, you know, she's so carey as, as, as Cassie is so still. That's one of her great strengths. She's so still that, yeah, it meant we could be quite prescriptive about what, how we did it. And as for the cinematography side, I know like no words for anything. It's embarrassing. It's, but I don't even really know the word for a camera. Ben Cratchin, who's just brilliant DP, you know, who I, I'd worked with very liked. I think really it was just, it's just that thing of not being embarrassed to say when I didn't know something. Yeah. Very particular, probably unpleasantly particular about how I wanted things to look. But with well, I must say the look of the film is so extraordinary. You know, it is all that neon, all that pink, all those colours. Was that all in your mind as you wrote it? Did you see the film as you wrote and then reproduce that? Or did you discover how kind of, not extreme, but how stylized, stylish, how far you could push it as it were during production? No, I think I think that was the thing about there was sort of no during production because we had three weeks prep and no time. So it was I think, again, that's the wonderful thing about if you can, if I as writing in my head is so useful for that reason, because, yes, is the answer is it's very much seen and felt. So it's, right. so it's much more. it's probably quite annoying for people to work with, because so much of it for me is about trying to explain exactly what it is that I'm imagining. But at the same time, because I sent the playlist to everyone, you know, including Carrie and the actors and all the HODs, and I sent a very, very detailed mood board, people knew, so then everyone kind of knew where we were going with it. Right. The amazing people could be like, okay, great. Well then if you want it to look like this, we can do this and this and this. I mean, it's incredible. It's, I, I hadn't realized the shortness of the production um, and the seven monthness of the of the stomach, um, but I mean, look, extraordinary. Look, I think it's extraordinary at every level. Talk a bit about the casting. I was talking to my daughter about it today, and she says it's in a way immensely cruel because there are so many of what she would call the soft boys of her dreams. I mean, you deliberately took all these actors, you know, who like Bo, who's a kind of dream, and you think will be sensitive, and is it? Adam Brody, the first guy who gets all in trouble and the wonderful guy from um, New Girl. Was that deliberate, that picking out the people with who give the wrong, the wrong signals about how they're going to behave? Totally, and not, not only the wrong signals to other people, but to themselves. Like, this is the thing about these guys, is they all think they're good. Because this stuff, you know, it, this isn't a film about like well it is but it's not it's not about villainous people about cruel evil people it's about normal people who identify as good who have just been turning a blind eye to their own behavior because they want something and they want it more than they care about the other person, I suppose. I'm very bad at articulating this. So, so it's like, and it's never, it's always the soft boys. 
It's yeah. always the guy at work who's always been so respectful to you. It's always your best friend who's never been skeezy and hit on you. It's, you know, this is where it's troubling. It's very rare in these cases that there is a, there is a kind of monster. Of course, we know that there are monsters. There yeah. are. Well, I thought the casting was amazing in that way because, you know, Connie Britton's America's sweetheart and she's yeah. not in this film. And, you know, Alison Brie is just kind of amazing the, the way that you undermined everything. Um, a fantastic uh, use of pop music. Were all those things, again, in your head when you, when you started? You knew those were the, the tunes? Not all of them, but a few of them were in the script. So, you know, Charlie XCX's Boys, which is the opening song, kind of the opening words, is just so perfect to me because it's got everything I like, which is that it's just an absolute banger of a tune. Uh, and it's fun and it's funny and it's wry in its own right. But of course, like, you know, it's it's the, the, the first line of the film is, the first lines of the film, I was busy thinking about boys. And I just thought, it was impossible not to find that completely delicious since I had been thinking about boys so much, but maybe yeah, not very, not very nice thoughts, but um... not necessarily not nice. I think honest, I don't think it's cruel to be honest. I'm not, there's nothing in this film. It's a film about forgiveness. And I think really honestly, and how we are able to forgive ourselves and each other. And so, you know, Again, it's 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 difficult stuff, but unfortunately, it's very common. You know, yeah. there is not a there is not a woman of my age who would unfortunately see any of this stuff as out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, that's, well, that's the truth of it. Yeah. No, and I think that's what makes it, you know, so seductive and in some ways painful at the same time as being, you know, so unbelievably entertaining. Um, let's talk about the end, which I'm told we can do because everyone watching has watched it. Um, you knew how that was going to end from how it was going to end from the beginning of writing it. And I'd love to talk about like shooting that because that was a heck of a thing to do to the two performers. Yes. Well, I think, well, so was it always? No, of course. I spent a lot of time there with the different configurations of what could have happened in that room. But the thing that was that kept coming back was that if the film had, if the film started with, you know, what would I do if I wanted to take revenge? How could I do it? The answer was always, it was never violent because I knew that if I was ever in a room with a man and a weapon, I couldn't win. And I'm, you know, quite a strapping lady, but like double, you know, that is twofold when you take someone like, you know, Cassie's played by Carrie, who's a very like petite woman. There was never a chance. There was just never a chance that he wouldn't fight, that he wouldn't fight. And and so it was, you know, it was a matter of then, yeah, trying to, yeah, trying to trying to take us to the place, take us to that place that we've seen so many times before in these movies, with the kind of catharsis it promises, which is that if we just get a knife, we can win. And it's not true. It's just not true. So, um, but I felt like, you know, if it is the only, the moment in the movie where we see violence, then I felt it had to be, we're so used to seeing women's bodies, 
we're so used to seeing women murdered on screen and it's so often so kind of gratuitous and titillating and so for me it was about saying okay well what does it what is it though we have to sit in it like he does actually and like she does it, it has to be agony and it has to be unsparing and it has to be you know and, and and it has to be impossible to look away from it and so um my father-in-law is an ex-policeman and so I asked the first thing once I realized it, that that's what was going to happen I asked him how long it would take to smother someone he said about two and a half three minutes so you know and again in films you just see someone you know gasp for a second and then it's over you know it's not like of course it's not like that so um so then it was that it was going to be a single shot pushing in, you know, getting closer, but rather than pushing in on her, pushing in on him. Um, and, and yeah, it was grueling. It was awful. It was awful to do. It was horrific. We shot it four, like, I mean, I think maybe three and a half times. Just, you know. Yeah, no, and look, I think it's an absolutely incredible scene, not only in the way that it's shot, but that it happens at all. And it is interesting, you know, I remember Mike Newell saying to me, if it doesn't happen there, it's not going to happen in the edit. And I mean, he was mainly talking about sort of comedy and emotion, but sounds like you you put that into practice on, on, on action. Just very quickly, let me leap in, because you're not only writer but and director, but also an actress. As an actress, directing actors... Are there, are there ways that you thought you were particularly good? Are there things that other directors have done that you thought, I'm definitely not doing that, or that was incredibly useful? Did you find yourself sort of good with the actor? Do you think that experience helped you as a director? I think it did, definitely. I mean, certainly it helped that all of the actors I work with on this film are better actors than me, so it made it kind of like a much easier kind of equation. Absolutely. The thing that I feel most strongly, and everyone's different, but... I absolutely, I cannot abide that feeling of sort of hostility or the relent, you know, that there are a lot of directors who are shouty. There are a lot of sets that are kind of fear driven, adrenaline driven. Um, there are lots of people who make you do it a thousand times because they're looking for something specific, but they don't know how to communicate that to you. And I think that like, look, some people really work under that kind of pressure. Some actors like love that. But for me, I just think, nobody's going to do their best work if they're frightened of fucking up. And we didn't have time, you know, so you need to have that very delicate balance of being like, everyone can fuck up. You can just, hey, you just do, we're loosey-goosey here, when actually that is not true. We're not loosey-goosey. You can't fuck up. We don't have time. But, you know, uh, for me, I get the spooks the moment I think we're running out of time or the moment I think I'm doing it wrong. I don't respond well to that. I, I am the sort of person who needs, like, a sickening amount of praise like and head patting. Look, it's, I mean, I think it's some directors aren't great and even some aren't very nice to actors. So um, clearly you were good to them and they did brilliant work. Let me leap on because we're, we're running out of time dramatically already. Um, you you see The Assembly. Is it the worst film you've ever seen? Um, when you see the mine, I mean, mine actually have been the worst films anyone's ever seen. But um, well, one of my films was four hours and thirty-five minutes. Um, first, first cut. So, I mean, were there things you had to fix as a as a director? Did you find the editing bit was as important as the writing and directing, or or in this case, because it was such a short shoot, had you done the job more neatly? 
Actually, I found the edit the hardest part of the whole thing. Um, I was so lucky. Fred Thoreval, who was the editor, is just so brilliant and diligent and amazing and experienced and lovely. And Emily, who, who edited it, they were just br- so I was lucky because they were great and wonderful. But it's not my favorite. I, I know that there are lots of people who love it. I think partly we suffered because, yes, we had so little. We had so little to work with. We had so few options. It wasn't that thing that you hear about where people are like, we're just going to move this here. It's a very plotty film. It's a ridiculously plotty film, actually. Um, and so it's not, it was not easy to move things around. And, you know, we didn't have time. Now, like my kingdom for like a shot of a tree waving in the wind. Do you know what I mean? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like any of that stuff, anything, anything. We didn't have anything. And Fred was just a master at finding some kind of dodgy B-roll of something we could just put to give us a bit of space. So that side of things, I think, I think it would be, it would have been easier had we had more material to work with because it would have felt more malleable. But just apart from that, I'm not, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm like natural at it. I find it boring. Um, I'm just not, I just want it to be, I'm too impatient. I love being on set and I love the writing, but the edit I just found, you know, often I felt like I was being pulled kicking and screaming and sort of, you know, my instinct often was like, oh, oh you know, it was that kind of like, slightly like immediate. Did, did you, did you, were you there a lot, all the time? I mean, I'm there all the time. I was there. You, you were there all the time. And, yeah. I, and also to be fair, I had just had a baby. And so I was tired. I was a bit, so maybe it wasn't a good reflection, but in general, I, uh, yeah, I just found it really hard. I did find it really hard, but I didn't ever feel the thing you felt. I had the kind of opposite problem where I was like, oh, this is right. <laughs> Well, it is. Look, you were probably, uh, you were, you were right. I, I, you were right. So quite right too. You didn't torture yourself. I absolutely wasn't. It was just that I think I was so in love with everyone, every single person who worked on it. I was so proud that it existed. I was so amazed by how, brilliant Carrie was and everyone so I think partly at the beginning partly at the beginning I think for me is that that first assembly I was just I wanted to weep with joy that it existed that even oh. if, it didn't, even that's, if- that's, no, that's a very that's a very happy story I'm so glad <laughs> that was the case um I'm going to ask you well oh god have you already written the next one I'm writing it now so it's nearly done how's it going Good. I just, yeah, I, I think I'm nervous about it, maybe in a way that I wasn't before. Have you discovered you've got a style? Do you think that are you suddenly realising, oh, wait a minute, this is going to be the way I work? Um, I mean, I definitely have a style. I mean, I've got a very narrow uh, kind of area of interest. <laughs> so that's like, it's the cat bin lady biopic, basically. Oh, okay. um, this, oh. it's very, well, of course, I naively think it's very different to Promising a Woman. And then, of course, I'm sure you're absolutely right. It'll all be the same. No, I, exactly. I wrote Notting Hill, thought it was very different, watched it and thought, oh, my God, it's exactly the same film as the last one. But look, uh, um, Emerald, uh, we do have to stop. Um, you've been great. It's an amazing first film. I mean, so much style, so many brilliant choices, so beautifully cast, really unusual um, in its, you know, movement between genre and its emotions. And I think 
you know, an important feminist movie as well and, and an incredibly entertaining movie. I can't praise you enough and um, I, I can't wait for the next one. And obviously I hope you win lots of prizes, but if you don't, um, you know, uh, who cares? You. Thank you'll you. be you'll be fine at least you don't have the shame at least there won't be live ceremonies no yeah. just alone in a room so yeah. there's enough shame there there's well, enough um, so many congratulations it's it was such a thrill and a delight um it's a great piece of work and a really you know a brilliant talent from the uk making a completely extraordinary movie This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.